and welcome along to our NHL Fans From Afar podcast and thanks for downloading or streaming. Usually Claire is here with me but she's having a hockey detox somewhere sunny on some sunny island but we'll be back next week. So instead of me just sitting here shouting about how great the Leafs are and believe me I could do that for hours but instead uh, I thought I'd bring a little bit of balance to the pod. Um, I've invited Stephen who joined us in week one of the pod to talk all things hockey with me tonight. We're covering all sorts on the pod from celebrations to very early goalie pulls. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. If you're an NHL fan from afar too, we're hoping to get around as many different teams as possible this season. Next week, we're going to be hearing from a Dallas fan. It's going to be really interesting to see how those guys are getting on. And we want to hear the most extreme stories of how far you go to support your team because that's the thing we all have in common, isn't it? We all have those little routines and rituals of getting through supporting a team that is on a different time zone so whatever your time zone get in touch nhl fans from afar at gmail.com we're also on twitter as well and of course it would be great if you could hit subscribe and drop us a review on your podcast app so we receive our podcast as they hit the internet every thursday morning now let's bring in stephen edwards you're a colorado avalanche fan but a kind of american north american sports enthusiast stephen welcome along again to the podcast Hey, it's good to be back and filling in for Claire, and I'm sure she's having a whale of a time wherever she is. Yeah, thank you very much for doing that. She uh, she did talk about trying to do it from the beach, and then I thought, you know what, you just go and enjoy your holiday. Go and enjoy the fact that you haven't got to think about all the different things that are going on in the NHL for a week. However, as a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, every day's a holiday at the moment. This is it. You, you can't stop winning, and I think Claire's away, and... Uh, missing out on all this wonderful action from the Maple Leafs and maybe they'll still be winning by the time she gets back. I tell you what, what she could do, she could download the NHL from a fans, fans from afar podcast, even all the way over there on a sunny island, and she can hear me talk about the Leafs instead. So I'm sure that'll be uh, that'll that'll work for her. We're going to talk about loads of different things. Uh, you've been off to Europe this week or last week, sorry, to go and see some NHL. How cool is that? It was great. I mean, it was my second time of seeing the NHL over in Europe because I went to the uh, Stockholm Games last year with the Avalanche and the Senators. But of course, they bought over into Gothenburg, the New Jersey Devils and the Edmonton Oilers for a one-game set. And I think what I really liked about it was that they didn't just have the game. They had some of the more interactive stuff there, which I think was missing from what we had in Stockholm the year before. So it was great to have that in the build-up to the game. Everyone really looked forward to it. And I think looking at the venue they had for the game, I mean, it held 12,000 people. It's quite an intimate venue which I think made for a really great atmosphere. I mean, I think for anyone that was there, you know, it was very, very loud. I think the Devils fans certainly were, were incredibly noisy, maybe more so the Oilers before the game, but obviously um, the Devils got off to a really good start, which um, seemed to silence a few of those Oilers fans. And I think, again, it just shows the intent from the NHL that they want to be able to bring these games over to Europe, showcase the great players that they, they have within the league, and you get a chance to see, you know, Conor McDavid, Taylor Hall applying their trade over in the NHL and, and two of the really big stars. And I, I, I'd like to see this continue. I mean, we've got the games coming up in Helsinki, not that far away now. So that's going to be an interesting two-game set when we actually have those, the Florida Panthers and the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, Winnipeg are obviously one of the, the big teams we talked about on the very first episode of the podcast is, 
one of those teams that we think are going to be knocking on the door, and I certainly think will be going to the, the finals. See, one of the interesting things about this is, I'm, uh, obviously, as a, a European NHL fan, I'm all in favour for the NHL fan, uh, NHL getting closer to us here in the UK. And although I didn't go to Europe uh, this year to watch them, it's just great that you know you can pop over to a country not too far away and watch an actual real league game. And that's the big difference, I think, to actually see... A game that matters, albeit very early on in the season, makes a huge amount of difference than just seeing a friendly game, for example. However, on the other side of this, I have seen so much from fans of the NHL over in North America complaining about this particular fixture. The fact that Connor McDavid has played, what, like two games? Or at one point last week, he'd played one game when most players had played like three or four. And they were feeling like, hang on a minute, we're missing out on seeing our superstar. Surely Conor McDavid should be part of the NHL in North America before like week two. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I know we've, we've kind of had this in, in other sports as well. Some of the fans in America are not exactly happy that their game is being sent over to the UK. And obviously that's very prominent right now with the NFL being in town just this past weekend and got another couple of games coming up and from what i understand it's kind of like a a bit divisive some fans want to see the game so they make a trip they want to come over to to the uk and make the most of it other fans are very much like well no we should have these games here but i think there's a a big difference if we talk about it from the nfl standpoint there's only like eight home games whereas in yeah. the nhl it's like there's 41 home games they're only giving up one one home game I, I really don't see the issue with this one at all. I think the only thing I would say, and I think you, you kind of do need to take this into some kind of consideration, is when these players are coming over to to play in Europe, is that the schedule might seem a bit imbalanced right at the start. I mean, obviously, New Jersey, I think, have only played three games so far. Yeah. Um, and these games, obviously, that they're not playing alongside everyone else are going to have to be played at some point. I know when the NBA comes over here, you know, the, the players take a week off then. And obviously, we're really concerned around the fact of, you know, players playing in back-to-back games and things like that, because that's obviously not a great thing to see any of the players uh, go through, because it is it is a toll on their body when you think about it. From that, do you think, do that, you think this is the part of the problem is the fact that this is right at the beginning of their season? And although you're right, I mean, there are a lot of games in the NHL. It's not like American football. However, if your team, like Edmonton, even though they'd only played two games at the end of the second week of the NHL season, they had lost every single game. And th- that must be a difficult start. And it does it does happen in the NHL that if you have a really bad start, it is actually quite difficult to kind of recover. And there is a bit of a feeling that you're kind of already written off your season, which in a crazy long season is madness because it doesn't. But if you're on the back of a losing couple of games like Edmonton were, although they won at the weekend against New York Rangers, that must be a tough thing to have to then turn around. And they must be thinking that probably would have been better for us if it had happened in maybe November or December and we could have just hidden that away a little bit. I think it's a, it's a difficult one. I mean, when's a good time to have this game? I, I think you'd be better off having it maybe at the start of the season. Um, I mean, you've got to look at it from the devil's point of view then. They've won all three of their games. They've used that first game as a lot of momentum that they've built upon and they've 
they've they've won every game in the NHL so far this season. I think the Oilers last year fell out of the gate, didn't get off to the best start. Did they travel last season? No, I just yeah. think it's maybe Oilers fans already looking for excuses. No, surely not. <laughs> Oilers fans looking for an excuse already? No chance. <laughs> Especially with the uh, the Maple Leafs already off the start. Jets <laughs> being one of the better teams over in the Western Conference. I mean, I mean the Senators are the top scoring team in the league. Is, is madness, isn't it? And there are already being the similarities drawn between Matthews and McDavid. And I kind of feel, I feel almost bad in a way because you kind of think Matthews, of course, has had this incredible start and should be getting the plaudits. But then we've got to remember, I think when I read this article about that comparison, McDavid had only played two games. This is it. And what what have the Leafs played so far? Is it something like seven games already? So yeah. they put... But the thing is, the Leafs have played those games and already put those in the win column. So they'll feel pretty good about themselves because, you know, they're riding the momentum right now. I mean, they're a team that doesn't want to stop playing. So whereas the Oilers are trying to find something to try and get something going. I mean, the good thing was they did play the Rangers, who are literally awful right now. (laughs) A good game for them to be able to get their first win under their belt. Should we have a look at some of the the kind of season so far? So we are, yeah, we're a couple of weeks in, and unless you're Edmonton or New Jersey, then you've you've played a a fair few games, so you've probably got a bit of an idea about how your team is doing. Um, some of the standout performances for you, Stephen, the kind of the good team. Let's start with the good teams, and then we'll come on to the bad teams in a bit. I don't want to sit here and talk about the Leafs. We'll put those away for a minute. Because oh, I'll, I'll do that bit. Don't worry, Stephen. <laughs> oh, you can leave me. I'm, I'm, I'm putting aside like a 10-minute slot in this podcast where I could just talk about the Leafs. And maybe I'll work out some way that you could skip it. Like if you're a fan of another team, I don't know if there's a way of doing that on a podcast. But if I can, I'll do it for everyone else. But I'll, I'll have my 10 minutes about the Leafs. Don't worry. So some of the other standout, not-so-good performances then. I think to, for me, the, some of the standouts, we look at some of the more predictable ones, I think, straight away. I mean, you've got Nashville have got off to a very good start. I think they're always a team that could be there or thereabouts, I think. I, but I think we've got some surprising performances so far this season. I mean, Anaheim have had so many injuries, and yet they're playing really good hockey right now. And I think they, they've maybe surprised a few people that they've got off to such a good start. So I think we thought that they was maybe being a bit slow out of the gate. And Just they were slow in to... general. I thought as yeah. a team, they looked at, with their injuries and the age of their squad and everything like that. I thought they were going to really struggle this year. But I think with them, they're one of those teams you always think where they're, they're built to be there or thereabouts. And, you know, they, they got healthy last year at the right time come the playoffs. And everyone thought, you know, they're going to be a really tough outcome playoff time. And I think if Anaheim again could kind of like survive the regular season and then get healthy at the right time, then you have to certainly think that they are going to be there or thereabouts in terms of the latter stages of playoffs. But I think the team that's really surprised me is, is Carolina right now. Um, I think they've taken advantage of, of, of the games that they've played. They've got some good wins under their belt. Are we taking them serious yet? And I've, I've read a lot about this and I think, a lot of people are kind of are overlooking the Hurricanes right now, overlooking the Devils. But how much longer can you kind of overlook those teams? Because they're playing very, very well right now. They're certainly playing above themselves. And I think on the other side of the coin, I think a lot of people are taking another look at, at Vegas, you know, from a point of view of have, what are they doing right now? Because obviously they've only won two of their first six games. But again, you have to look at 
their situation, I mean, Schmidt was suspended to start the season. That's a huge loss for them. Stastny has now got injured as well. He's out for another couple of months. But I think if you take a look at their their first line they're going to put out there on any given night, you've got Marshall, Carlson and Riley Smith. Those guys are going to score goals in bunches. It's going to take a little bit of time, it seems, for the for them to be able to get going. Marc-Andre Fleury is, of course, the, the number one still in net for them. So he's going to keep them in games there or thereabouts. But I think a lot of people expected them to get off to a another really good start this season. And I think you're looking back again to last season. It's now going to be difficult. As we talked about before, they're no longer the surprise commodity anymore. They're going to have to maybe fight and claw their way to victories. But I mean, in terms of some of the other teams, I think that have, that have maybe struggled to start off with, Minnesota, you don't tend to think of them as a team that gets off to a slow start. Very tough division in the Central Division, as we know. For me, that is the the toughest division in hockey because it, that division is just absolutely loaded. Yeah. Um, but for me, for the first couple of weeks, I think those are kind of some of the teams that we're looking at and thinking, well, okay, they should be better. They should maybe be a, a, a bit worse. And I know we had somebody sending questions around the, the Red Wings side of things. Let's face it, the Red Wings tried to tank last season. They maybe didn't tank <laughs> enough. Um, I don't necessarily think they're tanking this season. I think they, they just don't have much talent. I think if you took a look at that team a couple of years ago, they had all kinds of salary issues with players that were that no longer playing but still taking up a hell of a lot of their cap. But going into the draft, I think they're very excited about that. Chris Draper certainly has, has done a lot of work there, the former Red Wing player in terms of the scouting and looking at players in the upcoming draft. And they've got a lot of draft picks. So I think if you're a Red Wings fan, unfortunately, yes, kind of like write this season off. But the future could be certainly a bit brighter in about two or three years' time. And they're certainly looking, I think, for one of the big defensemen in the NHL draft coming up. But interestingly about Detroit, um, I watched them uh, when they played the Leafs the other day. And it was a good game and, and Detroit played well. Um, I mean, the Leafs won, obviously. But, you know, that's just what they do nowadays. They win games. Um, but the, the positive thing for Detroit and for Detroit fans, if you're watching that, yes, OK, you've had a, you've had a tough start to the season. And you're right, there are some real kind of gaping gaps on their roster but the as you kind of alluded to they have got a ton of cap space if not this year next year you've got the likes of Zetterberg coming off and retiring and all of these kind of the it's a real changing of the guard and I've heard a lot of people talk about how this is the year that Detroit just go with young kids who play quick play fast do you know what they probably won't win many games they they may well finish bottom of the NHL however they will probably play quite entertaining hockey. You will probably see quite a lot of games where, do you know what? Actually, if you watch the game, they they fight and they actually look like they're not far off the pace. What they'll probably struggle with is scoring enough goals and they'll probably let in a few too many as well, which I know sounds pretty much like the fundamentals of ice hockey. However, to watch them, actually, they'll probably be okay as a team. Yeah, I think they'll be... They'll be somewhat entertaining to watch so sometimes you know you, you put the kids out there and give them an opportunity to play and kind of like look at the the longer term maybe the next two or three years and see whether or not these kids are going to be a part of your future what what does that future look like because i think when you have a situation like that they've got coming up in in the draft in in 2019 is that they can look to try and supplement some of these younger kids that they've got kind of look at free agency I mean, they've got that, that 
lovely arena there that um, yeah. serves to have like a really good hockey team playing there. I mean, it's an avalanche fan. You know, the Red Wings are always our biggest rivals. Just I see them struggling. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit happy about that, but it's not a rivalry like it once was because they've moved to the, the Eastern Conference. But I think if I was a Red Wings fan, I'd kind of enjoy the season for what it might bring because I think you're going to get some upset wins along the way and maybe cherish those. Yeah. But certainly pencil that NHL draft into your diary because I think if they go into it with the right game plan, and it seems like they are because, you know, Chris Draper is seems like he's done his homework and he wants to be able to rebuild that team there. And if you take a guy like a, a Philip Broberg, who a lot of people are very high on, I mean, we had Rasmus Darlin come out of the draft this year that's gone to Buffalo, you know, how heralded he was playing in Europe. And I think, you know, Broberg is, a, is another guy that a lot of people are talking about. He's already big and he, he's got some, he's still got some growing to do. And I think he could be a name that if the Red Wings end up landing him, in the NHL draft, I think they're going to start looking at a, at a much brighter future, shall we say. I think also um, a shout out to Ottawa Senators fans because I mocked you on uh, our first pod and uh, said how you're in for a really tough season and you turned out so far to be the only team that's able to beat the Leafs uh, this season so far. Um, I actually think similar to Red Wings, they, I mean, they look good. But then I have seen them kind of highlights of them in other games and they've looked bad as well. So I think, again, for those guys, it's going to be an up and down season. What all teams should do that are, that are struggling is take a look at what that future looks like. And we think of that like the Islanders as well. They're in the they're in the post of RS era. You kind of have to look at that. And Otter are in the, the post Eric Carlson era. Yeah. You know, the, the Avalanche did it as well in terms of, you know, trying to bring through the younger the younger kids and 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 seeing how they kind of develop you know you have to try and make those moves obviously like ottawa have got matt duchene as well you know a guy that obviously went there how much longer is he going to be an actual senator and if i was a senator he would be a guy that i would try and move because again you have to take a look at what the next two three four years looks like there's no good having a look at what things look like now because if you you take a look at their division you have to think that they're gonna they're gonna struggle there. I mean, the, you've got the Maple Leafs, the Bruins, the Canadians, you know, the, the Lightning. They're all gonna finish above you. The Sabers are still trying to kind of find their identity as well. So, um, it, it, it's a really it, it's not the toughest division in hockey, but it, there's still a hell of a lot of talent there, and it's just gonna be very very difficult to kind of see where you're gonna be over the next couple of years. But you've got to try and map out that blueprint so you can you can try and see a way forward because i think otherwise if you just if you just kind of like go along and go along and go along you just end up at the bottom for many many years and you end up alienating a fan base you end up having a detrimental effect on the locker room itself because you know players just don't want to play there you can't attract free agents I'm sure that every time the NHL draft comes up and a player even thinks about going to or having to go to one of these teams, they don't really like the idea of it. So you've got to kind of show that you are moving forward. It's it's no good now just losing. I, I wanted to kind of draw a comparison really between the Canadian teams because we had this uh, incredible thing where it was hailed Canada Day the other day where all six Canadian teams won on the same night. 
and it, this was for the first time in ages. I can't actually find what year it was, and I do not have the time to go back and work it out for myself. But there was a, a figure. Go- do you know the figure or the year? I, I have no idea. No, I can't I, remember either. Canadian fans in recent uh, Canadian teams in recent years have been um, pretty bad outside of the odd team doing well here and there. But I mean, it's, it's yeah. kind of like back and seeing a lot of the last time when a Canadian team won the Stanley Cup. So that's that's the kind of interesting thing about this. So you had this Canada Day, which, okay, is, you know, it's just a fluke, really, because all six teams were playing and they happened to win. Great, fantastic. However, there is a bit of a feeling that the Canadian teams are turning round because, as you've said, for years, there's been the kind of the standout. The Canadians have been good. Um, you've had Edmonton have been good for a bit and then bad and then Calgary had a good year but then didn't really do that much and they've kind of gone in fits and spurts but what is interesting now is okay you've got some teams that are going to struggle this year like the Sens uh, like the Canucks probably however a lot of these teams are now turning around and they're joining teams who are going to be you would imagine pushing for the Stanley Cup certainly pushing to do deep runs into the playoffs i'm thinking winnipeg who you would well most people thought last year were probably going to win it and do you know what if it had fallen another way they probably would won it last year you've got toronto who are firing up on all cylinders at the moment you've got the canucks and pedersen and uh, brock besser and you've got some kind of positive stories coming out from quite a lot of the canadian teams and we could actually maybe be having a really good time as Canadian hockey fans. I know as a uh, Colorado fan, you must be thinking of anything worse than that because we'll all be just going on about how great Canada is. But there there could be a bit of a turning point here. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, um, what it might look like in June, I mean, I, I sat there you know, a couple of weeks ago and said that I fancied a, a Winnipeg-Tampa Bay-Stanley Cup, but it could so easily be a Winnipeg toronto stanley cup finals it you know it's, it's not one of those finals that i think american hockey fans would want to see but it, it's it's a realistic prospect that we yeah. could be looking at that uh, because of the amount of talent involved i mean we sit here and talk about how talented winnipeg are we sit here and talk about how talented toronto are i, I would still take winnipeg over over toronto right now mm. um you know toronto for me have got after a hell of a start yes they have but are they really battle tested? I think that's going to be the, the big thing. Come pl- come playoff time, we know that Toronto is going to be a playoff team, you know, barring any injuries, of course. Yeah. But when they get to the Stanley Cup final, when they get to the Stanley Cup playoffs, can they win those those series? Can they get past the best even in the Eastern Conference before they even think about trying to topple whoever the Western Conference put up in those Stanley Cup finals? I think. That is going to be the big test. The East, for me, is a weaker conference um, in general due to you know depth of talent. Um, and at the moment, Toronto looking, you know, very very good. But there are still some good teams in there. I mean, you you wouldn't write off Washington, the, the reigning champions. You wouldn't write off Pittsburgh. You know, you got New Jersey saying, you know, hang on a second here, what about us? Yeah. Um, you know, and and Boston are off to a very good start as well, and and Tampa. Another team that have only played three games so far. So when people take a look at the standards, they're, you know, having to look down a bit to see whereabouts they are. But you know full well that they're going to be there or thereabouts. So there is still a hell of a lot of talent in that Eastern Conference. But yeah, in general, I think Canadian teams, you take a look at these these teams now, 
you can start naming some real stars on here and, you know, players that Canadian hockey fans can, you know, really be excited about and look forward to hopefully a renaissance in Canadian hockey. Yeah. Which uh, for the for the sport generally, I think it will it will give it a boost. I mean, you know, it is the, the sport for Canadians, whereas in America it, you know, definitely plays I don't know what fourth fiddle to to all of the other sports. So it would be a huge draw for fans. Um, as as you kind of mentioned them, um, let's talk a little bit about the Maple Leafs now. Here's Riley. That's one to Marner. Down low to Morris, just like that. Back in front, they score. I mean, the Maple Leafs recorded a record season last year, points total, something like 105 points, and uh, was a good season. However, then went in to the playoffs against Boston, and there is a change in the game in hockey. And it's really difficult to explain to someone who doesn't follow the game, because during the regular season, yeah, of course, it's a physical game and it's a fast game. But then when the playoffs start, it's almost like the referees go, all right, let's just give them that. The benefit of the doubt always seems to go with the person making the hit in the playoffs. And that is what caught Toronto last year. Certainly in the beginning of the series against Boston, they clawed it back, but then lost in game seven, as we know. That, for me, is the thing that's going to be the interesting test. I think people have said, ah, well, you've hardly played any teams who are qualified in the playoffs last year and you've not played any kind of strong physical teams. Well, actually, now I would would have agreed with you at the weekend, but now we've beaten uh, Washington, who did play a physical game. That's how they won the Stanley Cup last year and they've carried on with that. They play a physical game. Um, L.A., not the fastest team um, in the NHL. They were also playing quite a physical game and we've managed to kind of beat them. However, my concern, and this is a very long way down the line, is that when playoff time comes around, that that extra level of physicality gets ramped up and then that's what will then knock us off our game. Yeah, I think it's it's a holding ball game. I mean, you, you, the way that... Um sportsmen looking at it in America is you, you have one season, then you have like, it is like another season. Yeah. It's completely different. The way that the game is played, it's more physical that, that yeah, the, the officials will let more go um, because they want the game to be suddenly ice. I mean, the old, the old rules used to be, I always felt was that when you watch the regular season games, is that the referees will put their whistle in the pocket in overtime. So they didn't want a power play to decide things in overtime, whereas in the in the playoffs, so obviously they'll still call things that that need to be called, but I think there is a little bit more leeway, and then things are kind of decided after the fact. You know, you know things obviously reviewed um, by the Department of Player Safety, as we know, and then obviously things are then taken into consideration and then dealt with accordingly. But it is completely different, and I think there's, there's two types of there's two types of players. I think that you definitely need if you're going to make a strong run at the cup. I think you need the physical presence on your own team first and foremost, because, you know, at the end of the day, if, you know, you've got your star players, if you take a look at Washington, what they have that's very, very good is that they have, obviously, you know, we talk about our, everyone's favorite friend, Tom Wilson, but he's a physical presence on that, on that line that they have with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov. So that's very much like, you know, if you do anything to them too, you're going to have me to answer to. So you, that's one of the things you need to look at is go and get that guy that can kind of mix it up a bit, throw himself around an old fashioned 
power forward as you used to have in the NHL. And I think the other thing is what you kind of look at is you also try and get players that have playoff experience, players that can turn around to some of the younger guys and say, this is what it's like to play in the playoffs. You know, you know, watch what, watch how I deal with things. You know, let's, let's sit down and kind of come up with a game plan. And that's the reason why you look at teams in the past that have been very successful. They'll make these little moves at the deadline just to add in these players. They may not seem like massive pieces to a championship team, but what the, when you look at them afterwards, you go, yeah, I understand why they went and got that player because that player has got that Stanley Cup experience. If you all go all the way back to a guy like Mike Keenan, who coached the 94 Rangers to the Stanley Cup, at the deadline, he made something like eight or nine trades. And it was just, it was balmy at the time because they were the team that led the league at that point in points. But what he wanted was guys that he knew that had either played under him or had got Stanley Cup experience. He went out and got pretty much any Oilers player that was available that had played on championship teams in the late 80s. He went and got Blackhawks players who he'd, le- who he played, who he'd had on his team when he previously coached them. And I think those are the types of players that you kind of need to look at and maybe add into that team. And that's where the trade deadline becomes very, very important in terms of finalizing how your roster is going to look. Because we, as I said, we all know Toronto is going to be there there or thereabouts they're going to be in the playoffs but it's what they do in the playoffs that's going to decide whether or not this is a great season for them it's, it's no good putting up 100 plus points if you just end up empty-handed again. no and i think most toronto fans would agree that if if we ended up kind of in i don't know if we go out in doesn't matter how many points we do in the regular season if we go out in round one again of the the playoffs then that will be probably if the season won't be deemed a success what i uh, what I wonder, and it's I don't know whether it's just the fact that the season's just started and all that kind of stuff, but I wonder whether that's a change in the NHL at the moment because I'm watching um, the Leafs and other teams as well, the likes of Pedersen and a couple of others too. They are they're not just now outskating some of these guys, these physical guys. They're they're running rings around some of them. And I just wonder now whether we are getting to the tipping point when, because less and less teams have now got those physical players. I'd argue Toronto have now not got a single guy. They've got players who will put a hit in and they've got players who are kind of mean and nasty and will do, will play the physical game, but they've got no one out there to come and be an enforcer. I mean, they had Matt Martin last year who kind of played that role, but then was kind of phased out halfway through the year. And looking at some of the other teams, they've done similar things. And I just wonder now whether we are getting to the point now whether actually that speed and the skill levels are now so high in some of these teams that they will end up shifting the way hockey is played and we will actually, even in the playoffs, it will be a team like that that will win out instead of a team like Washington last year who proved that actually, do you know what, if you play the physical game, you can still win it. I wonder whether this year will be the turning point and one of those teams who play skill first will actually go and win the cup. If they do, it could bring around a change in philosophy. But at the moment, all the, all the time you have like a team like Washington, that your Stanley Cup champions teams yeah. will kind of take a look at that and go, well, that's that's maybe the blueprint of how we need to build a team. You and need a first one, don't you? You need someone, you need a, I'm trying to think of another example than the least. <laughs> Give me another fast-paced hockey team. 
Well, you've, you've got very, I mean, if you want to Winnipeg. It's yeah, Winnipeg. Awesome. Yeah. Winnipeg is a fast paced team. They're, they're built on solid net minded as well, but they are a fast paced team and they're, they're very difficult to, to keep up with. But it, it's got to take one of those finesse teams to win, win that Stanley Cup because otherwise teams will still take a look at that blueprint for the playoffs and say that's the way to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's an Avalanche fan. I think a lot of us um, people that that's, that root for the Colorado Avalanche will always remember the playoff series against Minnesota a few years ago, when Colorado had way more talent than Minnesota, but Minnesota played this really physical game. And I remember sitting down with my friend at the time, and he was saying, "There's no way Minnesota can live with Colorado." You know, you got like McKinnon, you had Landeskog, you know, you had so much offensive talent. I said it would come down to one thing. I said if the referees don't call what Minnesota do, then this series could go on and on. Yeah. And it's going to get to a point where Colorado got tired. Sure enough, the referees stopped calling things and Colorado lost in seven games and they were beat up by the wild. And that, and you've still got teams that will still play that kind of system. And I think, you know, when you get to the playoffs and there's such a small margin for error and you want to keep things tight. I mean, we're gladly we're not back in the mid-90s having to sit through what New Jersey and Detroit did back then to basically turn the game into one of these awful sites that you never actually wanted to watch. I know Detroit will point to the fact they had a lot of talent, but I still didn't find it interesting to watch. At least we have a more open game now. But again, still when it comes to the playoffs, the odd goal here and there, that's the reason why we see so many overtime games. One mistake and that's it. So teams will play a more physical style. Even teams that are not exactly known for it hmm. will still maybe lean on that a little bit more come the playoffs. And you have to think, if you go against Washington, you're going to have to match up like for like because if you don't, then you're just going to get blown away, I think. And I, I wouldn't bet against Washington right now because ultimately they are still the champions. Yes, it's a lot more difficult to defend the cup than it is to win the cup itself but you know you, you have to have a change in in mindset a change in philosophy if one of these finesse teams actually can get the job done come june one interesting thing about the uh, finesse teams and something i've noticed uh, this year in fact um, i'm pretty sure winnipeg as well i think they've got a really strong power play this year um but I that's that's also got to be part of it because if you so the the Leafs have currently got the best power play unit kind of almost scoring at a kind of 50% average I mean they've stacked the first line but actually now the second line is also scoring on the power play and there's almost a kind of feeling amongst the Leafs nation that whenever the Leafs get a power play it's like oh here we go let's see how long it takes us to score this time which obviously will not last for the whole season it will drop lower than that but it's probably going to be a huge part of the Leafs season and more importantly it's obviously going to be a message to teams when they're playing the likes of the Leafs and also the Jets to say okay guys be careful because if you give away a power play then you're basically giving away a goal. And I wonder whether that is another thing that teams can bring in who rely on their skills so much and don't have that physical side to actually make their power play so deadly that teams are almost afraid to overstep that line. No, I, I agree. That's the best way you can punish a physical team is that any time you go on the power play, 
score. I mean, yeah. the best teams in the NHL tend to score at, you know, 20 to 25% on the power play. So you have to think if you get four or five chances, you should get one power play goal in that time. So you've got to have a lethal power play. I mean, going back to what we were talking about with Vegas earlier, they've got a hell of a top line. They've still got a, a hell of a power play unit. Mm. And again, that becomes even more important again in the playoffs. But for me, a lot of times you're not defeated by what you do five on five. You are defeated of what you do on special teams. You give up a lot of penalties. You give up power play chance after power play. That's when you get into trouble. And it's not even sometimes the fact of when you, you concede the goal. It's, it's if you go on the penalty kill and then you then get called for another one. And then like all of a sudden you're down a man for say three or four minutes your players eventually get tired. And again, over the course of a of a playoffs, that can take its toll on yeah. you. You've got six or seven games every other day. You know, you've got to think, you know, the pressure's ramped up even more than it is in the regular season, especially when you when you go and play these overtime games. Because speaking to players, you know, it's, it's interesting to get their take on a, on overtime games because they say, they say it's not just physically draining. It's mentally draining because you're, you're, you don't want to make that mistake. You yeah. don't be the guy that gives up, gives up the puck in, in, in open ice that ends up leading to a goal that either ends up ending a game or, or even worse, ending a series. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's move it on a little bit, but kind of on the same kind of lines, um, something that has kind of split opinion in the NHL uh, this week. Saturday night in Florida. Panthers defenseman Mike Matheson slammed Vancouver Canucks forward Elias Pettersson violently to the ice, causing an injury. This is not a hockey play. What causes this incident to rise to the level of supplemental discipline is that it encompasses two separate and distinct acts. First, Matheson pins Pettersson to the boards in a legal and effective defensive maneuver. Then, with the puck long separated from the area and Pettersson unable to defend himself, Matheson drives him directly downward and into the ice with force, causing an injury. To summarize, this is interference and unsportsmanlike conduct. Now, it's an interesting one, this one, because um, Pettersson is, you know, one of these young kids in his rookie year. He looks incredible, by the way. If you're a Vancouver Canucks fan, my days, you're in for a treat watching this kid. He's so good and linking up with Brock Besser as well. You've got kind of suddenly Vancouver have gone from a team where it was like, I have no idea what is beyond uh, the Twins to to now thinking, well, no, these guys are probably going to be good in a few years' time. But this hit by Mike Matheson has, I've heard people go so far on either side of this argument he got suspended two games go and watch the clip right go stick it into google and find the clip and watch it because to just try and describe it matheson or Peterson has the puck in the corner matheson comes in he's been having a bit of a go at him for the last couple of minutes in the game he then does a strong hit into the corner, so much so that uh, Elias Patterson kind of lifts off the ground. Now, he's not the biggest of players, to be honest, and he's only, well, he's very young. So he kind of gets lifted up off the ice by this hit. But then it's the next bit that makes me feel uncomfortable as a hockey fan and as someone who kind of wants to watch superstars play well. Mike Matheson basically then 
sees that he's off the ice and almost kind of throws the guy to the ground. And I'm not exaggerating by saying he kind of rotates his arms and shoulders and then throws Pettersson onto the ground, causing the kid to uh, be out for a couple of games with concussion symptoms. Now, he got two games for that. There have been people like Jeff O'Neill on TSN who have been so critical of this two games, saying this is ridiculous, you may as well just ban hitting in the NHL if you're going to do this, um, and has gone on to say something like, uh, you know, make jokes on Twitter about how he's 12 minutes late for a meeting, therefore he's been suspended by TSN for two games, and all of this kind of stuff. So just doesn't understand or just doesn't believe that this is right to punish players like that and then you've got people on the other side of the argument and where I find myself sitting and I guess this is probably because of the team that I support but actually as a as a relatively new hockey fan in the grand scheme of things I want to see the superstars play like I want to see my superstars play on my team but I also want to see the Elias Petersons of this world and the Connor McDavid's and those kind of players playing each week. And I don't mind him being suspended for this for two games. And I would argue that I think that that's that kind of feels fair. I'd be interested to know what you think, Stephen. Um, yeah, I mean, having seen it in real time, slow motion and, and everything else, as everyone else has the opportunity to do so. Um, I, I was pretty disgusted. I, I really was. And I think, again, it, it, it leads to a, a, a bigger subject to talk about is around the, the NHL. Is it really doing enough to protect its stars? And, and I think in this example, for me, I think Matheson got um, frustrated. Yeah. He literally had yeah. it, rings run around him. <laughs> he and, did, yeah. And literally, and didn't know what, didn't really know how to... Um, combat um, the, the speed and play of a, of a much more talented player. And I think that's that's me putting it um, quite politely. But then what he then decided to do, and then obviously then what led to the concussion protocol for, for Patterson was disgusting for me. And I, you know, I'm not surprised that certain people have come out and said, you know, again, can't do hitting, can't do this, you know, two-game suspension and all that. And I, that you're always going to get that. And I think every time we have one of these scenarios it always divides people. For me, I, I'm not happy with the the actions of Madison. And I think, you know, it's been compared to like a, a, a WWE-style body slam because that's yeah. pretty much what it was. I mean, it was incredibly physical. Um you don't manhandle another player in that scenario because you're out of control. You are causing all kinds of damage. I mean, who knows actually when this, this kid's going to come back because mm. the minute you go on a concussion protocol, you know, okay, there is, it is there, but you've got to then pass that to, to be able to play again. And I think for, for me, I, I I'm not going to sit here and say that I wanted like 10 games or anything like that. But I, I think what I do want is, you know, certainly more than two, certainly more than two games. I think anything up towards five games, I think would have been a, a much fairer argument on this one. But ultimately I think I just want to see this kind of play, not in the NHL. And that's why I always say to people, whenever I see fans, defend their own players over actions like this. I turn, The first thing I'll turn around and say to them is, if that was your player on the receiving end of that, you'd be the first to be jumping up and down, 
throwing your toys out the pram because you wouldn't like it. Exactly. The fact that you're still sitting here defending your own player because it's tribal and that's what you think you should do. Ultimately, what I want to see as a fan, as an analyst, is I want to be able to see the best players out on the ice for as many as 82 games, for as many playoff games as possible, because at the end of the day, I want to see the NHL showcase what a wonderful product they have. You can't do that if your best players are on the sidelines, in the stands, or under concussion protocol, or whatever else. You cannot do that. I think by only giving this guy two games, I don't think, again, it sent a message. I think, you know, we're sitting here, what are we, two weeks into the the NHL season. Yeah. We've already mentioned Tom Wilson. We've already mentioned Brad Marchant. <laughs> and now we've got this situation as well. And these things are cropping up all over the place. And I think they really do need to take a tougher stance in a lot of these situations. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing for me. I mean, injuries will happen in ice hockey. You cannot play a game at, like ice hockey without injuries happening. And stars will get injured just like anybody else. There is an argument that uh, some people have made saying the fact that, well, if this guy was a fourth line centre, then nobody would care about this hit and everyone would just move on. And sadly, I think that is kind of true. And But that is wrong as well, because it's got to be the same all the way through. Um, but I'm with you on the fact that you can have the physicality, you can have the big hits, you can have all of that stuff that ice hockey is obviously so not worried about losing but is concerned about losing without the extra stuff and that is what Matheson did and that is the thing that would so annoy me the hit was a big hit it was a heavy hit into the boards we see those happen game in game out hockey players are designed they know how to absorb those kind of hits even of first year rookie will have had a fair few hits like that and will know how to get up dust yourself off and carry on that is ice hockey you don't go in there for a kind of a nice little skate around however for me a bit like you were saying it's the afters it's the fact that then seeing the kid kind of pinned up against the glass off the ice to then think that it's okay to kind of throw the guy down onto the ice uh, that's the bit for me, and it's interesting. I was reading some of the um, the quotes from the uh, Canucks players after the game, and they were all saying they didn't see it, and they actually didn't see the event happening because I think it happened quite a long time after the puck had left him as well. So everybody had turned away. The Canucks bench didn't see it. The Canucks players on the ice didn't see it. And it would have been interesting to see if they had because I'm pretty sure you would have had quite a lot of those Canucks swarming round Matheson straight after that happened because one thing about ice hockey teams they are real team units and if you kind of go after somebody like that particularly a young rookie superstar you would imagine if other players saw them they would have gone into them oh absolutely and you know full well that when these two teams play each other again yeah (laughs) yeah his name is gonna be marked on a few on a few players hockey sticks and That's... i don't i don't mind that if that was just for the big hit if it was just for the big hit it was just that the fact that he threw him to the ground the only thing you're trying to do there is you're trying to hurt a guy like that's not part of the game you are surely if that's what you're doing either you're out of control or you're consciously trying to hurt someone and either of those are personally i just don't like seeing it no and again it comes back for me that 
the frustration that he's been basically made to look a fool of. Yeah. And I think that's the frustration has boiled over. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here trying to defend his actions. That's not what I'm saying. But I think that's kind of what led to the scenario that we ended up seeing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that's where a player needs to kind of get his feelings under control and not do something like that because it, it then takes a game that it's okay to be physical as long as it's within you know, the, the relevant safety re- precautions that are taken into consideration. Um, and that's what ultimately we're trying to do. And I think I'm tired of the argument of people telling me saying, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. All we want is a game that is as safe as it possibly can be. And I think that's what we're trying to strive to get. It's not about taking physicality out of the game. It's not about taking hitting out of the game. It's about just trying to make the product safe and as entertaining as possible so that everyone can enjoy it and players can thrive and be able to play at the very best of their ability. When you've got situations like this and some of the other situations that we've already seen around the NHL and during the preseason, unfortunately, we've still got some situations that we need to kind of iron out, deal with certain players and, and say to them, this this kind of behavior on the ice is not acceptable. Again, he's only suspended for two games. How long is Pettersson going to be out for? We don't know. And that's one of the things that I've heard people argue about. And they should, they say, well, these suspensions, you know, they, they should mirror the fact of how long the player's out for. And, they, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that, I mean, that's a whole new world of kind of pain of how you try and work that out because, yeah, you just get into very murky waters. But yeah, I, as you say, I think it's something that the NHL is going to have to look at more and more as teams end up adapting and changing to that kind of style of play. Talking of players losing control, though, I think that's an interesting way of moving on to celebrations. Now, as a UK sports fan, I find this debate fascinating because it is a debate that we would just not even contemplate. We just wouldn't even think about it in UK sports. However... This is a real talking point in the NHL, and it's about celebrations or sellies, as they're calling them over in uh, North America, which I had to actually Google what that actually meant to start with because I had no idea what a sellie was, but celebration anyway. Um, Austin Matthews and Kane in the Chicago game, they had a bit of kind of toing and froing um, with their kind of goal celebrations. Uh, Lars Eller uh, celebrated for the Washington Capitals in front of the Boston bench, which then Brad Marchand came over and punched him in the face for doing so. Um, a couple of people say, good on Marchand for doing it. It was wrong to celebrate in front of the bench. The Carolina Hurricanes have got this bizarre kind of end of game ritual where they if they win a game. They now go in and they're on home ice. They go and kind of all line up and skate up against the glass and kind of hit the side of the glass and bounce off and cheer the, uh, the teams and all this kind of stuff. But this has sparked real debate in North America as to is it right for players to celebrate? And you have guys like Don Cherry on Hockey Night in Canada, who is, you know, a guy who's paid to now just give his opinions, whatever they are. And he hates it. He just likes to see players score their goal. And then he says, move on, head down. And it's that hockey attitude of score your goal, head down, back to center ice, go again. That kind of attitude. What do you think of Austin Matthews? And uh, you have to admit, with Patrick Kane, it was fun. But uh... well, no, I listen. I was so shocked. I couldn't believe this was Matthews. Ben is his favorite. Now this is the way to act, kids. I've scored before. I'm going to score many times. And like that, that's a nice little one like that. Perfect. Just the way Ben does it. 
That's the way you do it, kids. I've scored before. That's what quite a lot of people want to see. For me, I just don't get it. Like, I watch football in this country and I watch so many different sports. I want to celebrate. When my team scores, I'm jumping up off the sofa, punching the air, and I've done sod all. Like, I've done nothing. So if you're the type of player who's actually scored that goal... Damn right I want to see you, like, punching the air. I want to see that it means something to you. And if you kind of have a little dig at the opponents, then, all right, fair enough if you want to go for that, as long as it's not too over the top. If your team wins a game and they want to celebrate by jumping up against the side of the boards on a home ice win, then so be it. None of the fans in the stadium are going, well, I just don't think this is very hockey. I just find this is one of those things that just absolutely baffles me. I think um, it's an interesting debate in terms of, of celebrations. It's interesting, obviously, you bring up football because one of the, 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 the most irritating goal celebration for me in football in the whole time I ever watched it was Alan Shearer's running away with his right arm in the air. It used to drive me nuts. <laughs> I used to, literally hated it with a passion. But I think if you take a look at hockey goal celebrations, and I think you know you you are taking away something from the players, the chance for them to express themselves. And I think, again, this is, this is where you've got the fine line. Giving a player a chance to express themselves and a player taunting. Yeah. And I think that's probably what you're going to have to call it. And I think for me, I mean, he is one of my favorite players of all time. And he had one of the best goal celebrations as far as I'm concerned and that was Timu Solani, who, who threw his glove in the air and then shot the glove out of the air with a hockey stick. It's a great <laughs> celebration. It's not aimed at anything else, but it, it was just a great celebration. Yeah. But I think certainly what we saw with, um, if you want to deal with it, first of all, with the, the Kane Matthews scenario, um, you know, obviously Matthews kind of like putting his hand to his ear and like just kind of like, and it's again, it's kind of like the silencing your miles are put like your your finger to your lips kind of the way. And I think, again, for me, that's taunting. That's not expressing yourself at all. That's not being overjoyed at the goal you scored. That's, that is kind of putting up a middle finger against the opposition and, you know, their fans as well in some respects. So I think that's where I kind of draw the line. I want players to express themselves. I want them to be able to enjoy the fact of scoring goals. We, we've seen some... You know, great goal celebrations over the years in, in the NHL, and I wouldn't want to take that away. And if you look at, you move over to the other scenario of the Ella Marchand one, for me, Ella's bang out of order. Absolutely bang out of order. Celebrate your goal, but do not do it like that. I don't condone what Marchand did. I was going to say, to the point where you think he deserved I, what he got. No, I, I, again, it's a fine line. I don't. Th- I'm not going to sit here and condone what Marshan did, but to a point I can understand why that took place because Ella shouldn't have done it in the first place. And I think for me, that reeks of a guy playing for a team that knows all of a sudden they are the best in the world. That is very much very, very cocky. Would they have done that last year? I'm not so sure. But playing as a Stanley Cup champions, they've got a certain amount of swagger. And I just wonder if that also led to that as well. In Boston and Washington haven't got the greatest relationship either. So, I can, again, I can understand everything that happened. But for me, Ella shouldn't have done what he did. 
Do you not think, no? I, I don't know. I, I tend to disagree with you on this one. And, and you know, <laughs> I will I will be here arguing and saying how much I hate Brad Marchand if he goes and scores at the Scotiabank Arena and does any kind of celebration. And I watch, like, Kuznetsov doing his eagle thing, and I think, oh, you just look like an idiot. But <laughs> that's because I'm, I'm not a fan of their teams. And I, I just like the fact that, do you know, actually, I, and I really like the fact that Kane gave back to Matthews as good as he got. Like, Matthews celebrated that way. He thought they'd won right at the end. They then came back and equalised. Chicago came back and equalised. And Kane did exactly the same celebration back. At the time, as a fan, I'm watching Patrick Kane going, ah, oh, come on, get out of town. We're like, this is rubbish. Now, thinking back afterwards, looking at it, damn right that he goes and does exactly the same thing back at Matthews again, and Matthews had his little smile. Now, for me, with Larzella's one, that's an interesting one because there is something in hockey that is sacred about the bench. And there is something about, even though, even when players kind of get pushed into the bench by somebody else, there is a kind of feeling from what I gather when you look at it and you watch the game, that that is a real kind of, you stay out of it and that is their area, much like your own bench is your kind of safe space in the ice. And I guess it's one of the things that when, you know, you're not allowed to leave the bench to join a fight because it's something like automatic 10 games or something like that. So for me, that did make me feel a little bit more uncomfortable, the way that he celebrated that in front of the bench. However, I think if, the players kind of give back to the opposition fans because I'm pretty sure those Chicago fans were chirping Matthews all the way through that game. And like, I would hope that he would kind of give that back to them if he's doing well and he's earned it. Same with Patrick Kane, same with the Capitals. I think they've, the Capitals have earned the right. I mean, how many years have the Capitals been the butt of everyone's jokes saying, oh yeah, but they have never won a cup, have they? Ovi never won a cup. And it, it goes back to what happened over the summer with Ovechkin. He he celebrated hard with that cup, so much so I think people were worried about the how well it was constructed, that cup, how hard uh, Ovechkin celebrated with it. But there was a real kind of, mm, I don't know, I don't know whether this feels right for hockey fans, uh, for hockey players to celebrate like this. I want to see, I want to see them pumping their fist. I want to see them celebrating just like their fans would be. I think... I- as I said, there's a fine line yeah. between celebrating the goal and taunting. And I think this is this is where the argument is and the reason why it's become such a hot topic. Because for me, the two incidents we talked about, okay, the first one with, with Matthews and Kane, it's taunting but with a bit of fun as well. And like two star players are kind of going back at each other. Mm. I think, okay, you can maybe understand that a little bit more, but Again, it it's still taunting. You're not actually celebrating a goal. You're actually, you know, taunting. That's that's where the issue is. I mean, the the, the yellow one is is quite clearly taunting. It, it's nothing else. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a very very dangerous scenario. And I think again, we sit here and say all the things the league have got to keep an eye on. This is another one, because again, if they don't do something about this quite early on, then again, you could lead yourself to more and more serious incidents in this. And you think about, you know, what about a big time celebration in an important playoff game that borders on taunting and maybe crosses the line? You know, you're far more emotional. You know, you've you've scored that winning goal. 
that maybe wins a playoff series, you you could have a really serious incident on your hands or because you haven't dealt with this. And I think it's a very, very difficult one to police. I wouldn't want the NHL's job on this one um, because you, you kind of have to try and understand and maybe you need to talk to players about what might go through their head um, during those scenarios. And I think it could lead again to like an abundance of hearings, which I don't think anybody wants to see. That's another thing we, we have on the... The, the suspension side of things, these players having to answer to these things and, and taking up everyone's time because it's not dealt with maybe more appropriately. Yeah. And I think that's where this could end up heading as well. But I, I, I just, what I don't want to see, as I said, I don't want to see us turn players into robots. They just score a goal and that's it. So I'm with you on that because we, we both agree we want players to express themselves enjoy playing the game you know when you score it is a very emotional feeling and i i wouldn't want us to take that away from players yeah i just think we just need to just be a little bit careful with somebody's and matthew's cane one doesn't bother me as much as the as much as the yellow one does because the yellow one for me is a, is a very dangerous scenario but at the same time i still don't condone what Marshall did because at the end of the day you don't take that in your own hands. I can somewhat understand the reasoning behind it, yeah. but you just still don't do it. I will never, ever condone a player attacking another player under any circumstance. I will never, ever condone it. Because as far as I'm concerned, if we get into that kind of mentality and have that attitude towards another player, then I think that's a really dangerous game to play. And this is where, again, the NHL needs, should be stepping in in terms of situations like that, not for players to kind of take the law into their own hands. Right, well, we're nearly up on time. Uh, it's been really interesting interesting chatting through some of these uh, stuff, some headlines from the NHL this week and some of the kind of deeper issues. Um, I'm going to give you a minute just to kind of think of maybe one more story that you'd like to bring to the table, uh, Stephen. For me, um, Claire has tasked me with uh, keeping the, an eye on William Nylander situation in Toronto and the fact that at the time of recording this on uh, Tuesday, the 16th of October, he has still yet to sign for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's still out in Sweden. He's still training out there, I hope. I'm sure he is um, ready to come back for the Leafs. It's been a really interesting um, a really interesting saga and a really interesting uh, thing from a, a, a fan's point of view because obviously when the season started and Nylander was missing then there was a real worry that there was a gap on the the roster on well you know Matthew's wing basically and we were you know we we needed Nylander there for Matthews to perform as well as we expected him to now that has kind of gone away a little bit because Matthews is having an unreal start to the season and he is <laughs> and it's all kind of came about in the Chicago game when Babcock changed it round a little bit demoted Tyler Ennis and brought up Kasperi Kapanen. Now, Kasperi Kapanen has been a winger on the Leafs for a few years. He was traded as part of the Phil Kessel deal from Pittsburgh. He's another young Swedish player. He's been around a few years now, but he has been an absolute revolution to the Leafs' top line. And he is not by any means the same player that William Nylander is and... I have seen on social media that that has been talked about a couple of times. He's like saying, why do we need Nylander when we got Kapanen? That's ridiculous. However, what 
is interesting about it and what is genuine is the fact that he has filled the void left by William Nylander. Not saying he's the same level of player, but he's filled that void and he's providing Matthews with the type of player that he needed on that line. And now he's scoring goals himself. He's setting Matthews up and he's playing that dogged, determined role that we might see a a kind of Zach Hyman play. But I just, uh, to kind of finish it off, and, you know, I just hope William Nylander signs soon because I just love the the thought of trying to fit him into this roster because it's already an offensively ridiculous roster. So trying to fit a world-class talent like William Nylander onto that is just an incredible problem to have. And any Leafs fan saying, oh, well, you should trade him for a D. No. Just don't, because you you don't know what you're going to get. You could end up in an Edmonton situation like we talked about last week, where you end up trading for someone who you think is going to be as good but isn't, or you're trading for future prospects when your time is now. You need to get him back. But one of the really lovely kind of like subplots to this story is the fact that Kasperi Kapanen and William Nylander, both Swedes, they are both really, really good friends. I think they were roommates um, on the Leafs. So Kasperi Kapanen has kind of filled that slot and and taken a lot in a way taking the heat off Nylander in in a good way for Leafs fans but in a bad way for Nylander because if you're Nylander's representation it's getting harder and harder to justify surely the fact that he is not signing because the Leafs are doing all right without you and they are scoring a lot of goals and it's not helping the fact that one of his best friends is a huge part of that and I'll just finish this off by saying I've just seen uh, Kasperi Kapanen on the whole William Nylander situation saying I'm not trying to steal anyone's spot he's a brother to me I texted him this morning which was Tuesday and just said hope all is good just a little message to try and maybe cheer him up obviously I miss him god I love hockey players and I love this Toronto Maple Leafs team ah my heart bleeds he loves them now but uh, come June uh... (laughs) Yeah. misery. Ah, oh, Kapanen is useless. He should be a fourth liner at best. That'll be me later on in the season when, yeah, we lose to Boston in round one again. Uh, but no, it's a very interesting story and one that obviously keeps going on and will uh, mean that the first thing I do every single morning is check Twitter, refresh it, and do my little search for William Nylander. And the day he signs will be a very good day. Right, Stephen, save everybody else who listens to this podcast who isn't a Leafs fan. Tell us a story from the NHL that is not Leafs related. Um, This is kind of an NHL story. And thankfully, there is hockey being played outside of Toronto this (laughs) NHL season. Really? Yes, yes, but it does involve a, um, a, a coffee company as well. And for anyone who's seen this over the last few days, the, the story about the Kenyan hockey team that that was flown over um, because they hadn't got another team to play over in Kenya and that their home, well, ice in, in, in Nairobi in Kenya um, hadn't actually got any boards as far as I'm aware, even when I read about this. And it was, they just made this wonderful three-minute video that went viral, and they was also joined on the ice by Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon. And anyone who's, who knows anything about these two guys from a from a coffee point of view, they uh, they've been seen in Tim Hortons adverts, and you can look those up on YouTube, and they are quite funny to watch because even my youngest likes watching those. Um, it gives a, it gives you a chance to um, see a bit of humour from both of those two guys. So for me, I, I thought this was the, the great story 
of the week because seeing a, a hockey team that ha- wasn't able to play anyone else because they hadn't got enough players and then um, Tim Hortons and, and Nathan McKinnon and Sidney Crosby just joined them and um, helped support this this wonderful hockey team in what was a, just an amazing adventure. And I think, again, for me, it shows just how far-reaching hockey is. It is a global game. You know, when we think about the NHL, and we, we started off this podcast by talking about the NHL going into Europe, and we're going to finish it talking about hockey players and the, the great game that me and Jolon love and, and Claire loves as well is it's there in Kenya as well. It, it's everywhere. People are playing this game. You know, players learn to play this game at a very young age by playing pond hockey. It's a great game. And I thought that was a great story. No, really good. Really, really good shout. Um, and just to finish off the uh, the podcast, because somebody who we want to keep an eye on here at uh, NHL Fans From Afar is an NHL player who was uh, born very much from afar to North America, and that is Liam Kirk, who is currently playing for the Peterborough Peets in the OHL. Doing rather well as well, I'd like to point out. Scored a couple of goals and is looking quite at home in North America. Everybody's got fingers crossed that he will do well. I saw something on uh, Twitter from him. Uh, EA Sports released um, some kind of lower league players, some OHL players, AHL players, their player um, in their um, NHL game. So he kind of posted the screenshot of him in an NHL game. Um, on your kind of PlayStation and Xbox. And I just thought that must be, I know that's not the same as going out in a Coyotes jersey and actually playing, but even so, that must be pretty cool thinking you are on the NHL game. It's pretty surreal, isn't it? I mean, one of my friends was um, married to a a a footballer and she told me the first time that he was featured um, in FIFA. So it is exactly like that. I, I will never be in an NHL game. <laughs> I, I know I won't be. Um, hey, you never know. You and me, they, they could one day pick the game that we go to and model the crowd on us. You never know. Create a fan. Yeah, you never know. It could happen. Hey, do you know what? Those kind of games could do with something new in them. I mean, I buy them every year, but there's so little extra that they add to them. Why not? Can you create a fan? That would be brilliant. There you go. If, if they're listening to or somebody working uh, electronic arts uh, to our podcast, yeah, let's do create a fan and put myself, Jolon, and Claire in the game. We can uh, we can put Claire currently sunning herself with a cocktail on the, in there in a frozen ice rink centre. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Uh, Stephen, thank you ever so much for being our guest presenter this week uh, while Claire is away. She will be back next week. Um, we know we'll get you back on, Stephen, um, because, you know, your knowledge of the NHL is incredible and I'm fascinated to see how Colorado get on. Uh, we haven't really talked that much about them tonight, but uh, we'll get you back on, talk more about um, Colorado. Thank you very much for doing this tonight. Um, we'd love to hear from you if you're an NHL fan from afar too. We're hoping to get around as many teams as possible this season. Uh, we'll hear some of the most extreme stories of how far you would go to support your team, whatever your time zone. Don't have to be from the UK. Anywhere in the world outside of North America, we want to hear from you. 
Get in touch, nhlfansfromafar at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as well, so uh, tweet us there. And of course, if you could hit subscribe on this podcast, I would appreciate that so much. Drop us a little review um, and then you will get our podcast every single Thursday morning. They will arrive. We are now on um, iTunes podcasts as well, which is great news. So Spotify, iTunes and a load of other sites Wherever you get your uh, wherever you get your podcasts from, we would love to hear from you. We are going to be getting a Dallas Stars fan on next week. Going to be really interesting to hear how Dallas have done. Um, they've had a good start to the season. They've looked good. New manager, new um, sorry, new coach, and they are one of the teams that who knows missed out on the playoffs last year, but could sneak in this year and could look pretty. good. Good. We will be back next Thursday. Myself and Claire, thank you very much for listening.